Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back to another episode of No Head, where we learn to live in the present moment and navigate life together. This podcast is available in all the podcast apps. If you haven't subscribed, please pause just now and subscribe and rate me. It helps others discover this podcast. Thank you. How are you doing, breathers? Yeah, that's my name for all of you who are taking time to breathe and be in the present moment. If you're tuning in for the first time, my name is Dorothy Oko. When I'm not doing my day job in communications, I facilitate a mindfulness course at Google called Search Inside Yourself. Today's quote is from John Farrar. Quote, But to be human is to be at the center of our own universe, to experience life in all its colors and all its potential. This is what we want to celebrate with being human. The awe of being alive and the thrill of discovering what it means to be us. The greatest wonder in the world. End of quote. My guest today is Wandia Joya, a scholar, social and political commentator, and blogger. She thinks and writes a lot about what Pan-African history means for everyday life issues. Her mentors and icons are France Fanon, Michelle Mugo, Nikki Giovanni, Louis Gordon, and Tiambe Zeleza. That speaks volumes of how she views the world. Wandia, or Molly Munjoya as she is fondly known, credits social media for giving her a voice. She uses the gift of teaching to reach the uninformed and gives a voice to the powerless. We first recorded this on Zoom, but the internet connection was terrible, and this forced us to have a face-to-face -face meeting. I must say that even though during the pandemic we've been forced to have virtual meetings, nothing can replace the physical meetings. And I am grateful for this heart-to-heart -heart with Wandia. to know her podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I am so thrilled that I'm getting to see you face to face after our last challenging conversation. Yes. <laughs> on Zoom. Yeah. So before we start with the interview, we normally just take a minute to do a few breaths and bring us to this present moment. Mm -hmm. I'll invite you to join me for three breaths. And so what we do is we will breathe in to a count of five through our nose, hold to a count of two, and then release slowly through the mouth to a count of five. Right? Let's start. Breathe in. Hold. Breathe out slowly. Breathe in. Hold, breathe out slowly, breathe in, hold, breathe out slowly. 
Now let your breathing return to its normal rhythm. Just breathing in and out, not controlling anything. Letting your breath be your anchor. And arriving to this present moment. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Wendia, I have known you for a long time. And if we were to, to start that, that would take us forever. But I have seen you become this activist that you are and become this voice for many people. And so before we begin, I actually just wanted to ask you, how was 2020 for you? What were the lessons you learned? Okay, uh, thank you for having me. You know, you are an important part of my journey and I really appreciate what you have been for me. Actually, it, it's funny because I, COVID coincided with that part of my life where I was tired. I had been working for 10 years nonstop and I just needed a break. So I, in fact, I had taken leave for up to March. So actually COVID started when I had just been to work. So it was almost like a breather, unfortunately. Mm. I don't like to say that because I know how people are suffering um, and, and actually, that was part of the pain, feeling I get a break, but for most people, this is not a break. It's just more hardship. So just, just being in that space of contradiction was what COVID was for me. There was something that was familiar about it. I think we've taken a lot of leeway with the environment. Even the workspace, we've been overworking ourselves. We've been building uh, infrastructure that keeps us on the go all when this happened, I it, it felt familiar. But I think also as an African, mm -hmm. we are so used to, to these kinds of disruptions, major, major disruptions. So um, it, it became one of what we've been going through. And in that sense, that's what I admire about African people. We are very resilient. I think we've been through so much for the last few centuries that uh, we, we, we take it in our stride. We shout, we scream, but I think there's an inner strength we have that that keeps us going. I think that's. I think it was. It's a deep uh, reflection time for me, and just appreciating that um, I have resources that most people don't have. That mm -hmm. that that's unjust. Mm. And so you have had a moment of taking it all in sitting quietly as you said you've had 10 you you've been working for 10 years had never taken a break and this was really a moment to recharge yourself in your recharging mm. what are some of the things that you you felt very strongly about or have come out as a result of this period of rest mm. for me it's what it means to be human that that's something that I've, I've been connecting with, you know, um, the importance of our emotions, um, that our emotions are an important part of our lives. Right. And the connection, you know, the non-physical connection of our lives, there's the, the, the emotion, the mind, 
and the spirit. Okay, I'm not a philosopher yet. Mm. I imagine that all those things are part of the soul. So I have become more and more aware of how our world is is crushing the soul in different ways. Um, We are told the emotions are not important. People don't want to be spiritual anymore. And then the mind is overloaded with so much information that we are not processing. So I think what I've become more aware of this time is how much the soul is important to humanity. And I think it should be the center of of what we we do going ahead. We must protect our souls. I don't know even, I'm so desperate about that. We must protect our souls. The capacity to say that we are human, the capacity to love, and to love not just the next person, but to love the universe, to love God, to love you know, all that, that, that is something that we need to, to really, really protect. And I think because we, we have become so jaded by all the processes, all the business, all the learning, all the everything, we've, we've lost that kernel in our soul of our humanity. And I think that's what I have learned that I've become more sensitive to it. Right. I really like that because that's really also why I started No Head Podcast, to give us this moment to, to, to be still and to be in touch with our bodies and to be in touch with our soul and with that part of us, that technology and all these other things can sometimes be so strong and overpowering. And I'm really interested because you've had these moments of of stillness. How do we protect our soul? How do we make people aware of our humanity? And for us to get over the I, the individualistic me, and be able to embrace humanity? Um, I I think one thing is, uh, I think we need to appreciate ritual more. Um, you know, when we were younger, we used to think, why are we going through the same thing over and over again? It's so boring. Why these ceremonies and what? But now as I grow older, I realize that these these ceremonies are important. So whatever ceremonies we go through, you know, celebrating birthdays, celebrating uh, marriages, you know, even going for funerals, uh, marking milestones, all these things that we normally do and they look as if they are just a waste of time. Mm-hmm. I think we need to bring those back and, and to realize how, how important they are for our emotional and mental health. We need to appreciate the importance of ritual. People sh- should invent their own if they feel the ones that, but you know that repetitiveness and doing it over and over again is so important for the soul. So I think appreciating the importance of ritual is one way to protect the soul. The other thing which I have learned, and this one I've learned from my husband because uh, of his own journey, Mm. is the importance of naming emotions. We have to name how we feel about anything. If something hurts us, we need to say it, that it hurts me. Right. If something confuses us, we need to say it. If it makes us excited, we need to say it. And for me, this is where the arts is so important because the role of the arts is to give us the language and the expression to name emotions. Yeah. So we can name emotions through dance, through song, mm-hmm. through speaking, through poetry, through all these 
artistic expressions help us to name how mm. we feel. Mm. Because, and then also sometimes, uh, you know, when you listen to a song, there's somebody singing mm. something which you felt, but you could you didn't know how to say. Yeah. The arts is good for, for helping us name what we feel. And then, of course, there's a physical. We need to take care of our bodies, eat well, exercise. Uh, I would even say people need to have a romantic relationship with food. You know, yeah. start, start appreciating, you know, what you're eating, what you're cooking. Mm. Um, and, and it's really sad that we reached a point where we started fighting over who cooks. I mean, cooking is such a wonderful time because cooking, you're connecting not only with the food, but with the people who are going to eat the food. You know, we need to stop fighting with cooking. Cook and enjoy the food that we eat. You're talking about being in the present moment in everything we're doing. If you're cooking, being in that moment when you're eating, being in that moment, enjoying it, and just being present in life. And I feel like that's what COVID-19 um, has taught us as well about being present and the importance of other people in our lives because we've realized being alone is too, it's too hard. Being home gave me the opportunity to think about the universe and think about others mm. other than myself. You know, I think when we are working, we tend to think of ourselves, our career, you know, I right. need to get home. And we are so we are kind of forced to be self-centered. Right. But now that we were home, I had the opportunity to think about others and to my thoughts going out to especially those without permanent employment, mm. people whose uh, jobs and income was going to suffer because of the lockdown. Right. Um, of course, now that's when you start thinking, oh my God, we don't have a proper healthcare system. So basically, I started thinking about others, which mm. I think is something we should always do, but we just don't get time mm. to think about that. And then, of course, starting to think about the universe. You know, when, what is COVID telling us about right. the way we live in the world? Mm. And I think humanity has become very selfish we are not giving animals space to breathe. We are mm. not allowing the trees to take care of us. We are really mistreating the planet. Mm. And those are the things that now I start thinking about more. Mm. But also it was a time to group my ideas together and my thoughts together after 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I'm still trying to process them. I've often wondered where do you get your, your, your energy to engage? Because I know that I don't have it. Mm. But when I see you, I see the passion, but I also see the energy. Where do you get that from? Mm. I think I have a very sharp sense of justice. When I think something is not fair, especially to the vulnerable, then I, I speak out. Um... So I think it's just that feeling of injustice can't happen and I'm just keeping quiet. I have mm. to say something. Right. Um, but also, I, I wasn't even aware that mm. I have energy. Right. Uh, somebody else asked me that, I think, like a few months ago. And I was like, oh, okay. I, I didn't know I had energy. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't know it. I, I because just, you respond. Oh, I am like, I see uh, something and I'm like... I want to educate this person. Mm -hmm. I want to respond. 
but it's going to take so much time and energy. And mm. then I'm like, no, I'm not going to do it. And so I just let it pass. Mm. But you have the time and you have the energy and you will almost have a conversation with that person to, to educate them on that point. Mm. I think... Well, I also make those decisions mm. many times. Sometimes I tell people, oh God, I can't explain what what is wrong with what you've said. Go to my blog right? <laughs> or go to my, my YouTube channel. But uh, when I really persist on it, it's because I've been thinking about it a long time. I think my voice just started becoming more noticeable over the last, what, like four years. Mm. So previous the previous six years, I had been asking questions, studying, reading a lot. So what now I'm talking about is, you know, 10 years of reflection, teasing out the issues and asking questions and reading and ask and looking for people to help me. So when I now speak, it's because I have been on this a long time. And usually the issues I pick are the issues which I feel are based on fallacies. And Kenyans have so many of those fallacies. Mm. So, for example, the fallacy that ideas don't matter or that emotions don't matter. Mm. If I see that that is the underlying narrative of just some regular, you know, story about maybe I'm a three-stopped and, mm. you know, throughout the passengers. If I notice the reactions are going towards that underlying narrative, that's when I speak out. Right. Yeah. It's interesting when you talk about these fallacies that are there about, you know, emotions and ideas. But I almost also feel when I look at what happens on social that people don't take time to understand what you're saying. People are ready. And this is the power of social media, that it has given everyone a voice. Mm. And so I can imagine I'm in my little corner where I'm talking to Dr. Wandia and I can be able to say something to mm. her. And people will think I'm really brave because I can mm. talk to her. But what do you do about this sense of people are just ready? So when you say something, how do you measure this one? I should respond and this one, they're just attacking. It's mm. not worth it. Um, let me just first start by saying that uh, I have learned a lot from Kenyans on social media. Mm. You know, there are there's still a group of Kenyans mm. who come to social media to engage right. and the kinds of questions they ask sometimes they share information which I didn't know mm. sometimes they even repeat what I said but in better words mm. I love when that happens right um, so I have learned a lot from that group of Kenyans mm. so even when I'm engaging on social media, I'm aware that there are those Kenyans who will engage me, you know, wanting to ask questions or, or wanting to share and add on to what, I, what the discussion is. So those ones, um, I'm very aware that they're there. So I don't run away from social media for that reason. But then I also know that there are people who just come to disrupt the conversation. Right. Mm -hmm. In fact, all those insults and all those things the people say mm -hmm. is to disrupt. It's the purpose. So mm -hmm. these days, I, I look at, I don't look really at what the person is saying, but what are they implying and right. what do they seem to want? If they look like they're just trying to get under my skin and disrupt the conversation, then I just, you know, either I say, you know, forget you know? it. Right. All these days I've started replying. Okay. I've started saying, why don't you go read this? Mm. Or, uh, you know, tell me what it is that you want when you're 
insulting me? What what are you looking for? I mean, I just go at them. Right. I don't run away. But um, and then others, I just block, of course. But that has that ha- that's three years of work of of analyzing mm-hmm. what is it about what they say that is so annoying. Right. So sometimes I notice that they are trying to hurt your feelings. Mm. So in fact, I even tell Sam, I know you want to hurt me, mm. but I'm not hurt and I'm not going to shut up. Wow. wow. Uh, others, they, they want to drive a narrative. Mm. So I say, I know the narrative you're driving and this is what it is and I disagree with it. But that that's something that has come from studying the narratives and mm. studying how they operate and what they are getting at. So that's right. how I stick at it. That also requires the courage and the knowledge to mm. be able to fight it. Yes. So you've got the knowledge and then you've got the courage. You're like, mm. I'm going to take it on or I'm not going to take it on. Yeah. And you, you've you also said this has taken you, it's years of just studying and finding out and analyzing and being very self-aware mm. of that. Mm. Do you feel, though, that there's a place where on social we can give people hope? Because mm. sometimes I feel like, yeah, we can see what's wrong. We can point out to what's not working. But how do we give people hope so that they know this is what I need to do if I'm to survive in this system? Mm. Like one of the things, uh, I'll just give one example. Mm. One one lady uh, tweeted something and she, used, she said, we should do this and this. Mm. And then somebody nasty wrote back and said what do you mean we say mm. i and then she rephrased to say i i th- i i should do this right so i replied to her i told her no you have the right to say we right yeah we is a social is is, is a way of declaring that uh, your hope but also you're inviting us to share with you what what it is that you're aspired what right. what you hope for us. Mm. So she rephrased the tweet and now put we. I said, doesn't it sound nice? Yes. It sounds like poetry. It sounds exciting. <laughs> what did the other person who had attacked the Silence. Yes. They kept quiet. So um, those are the kinds of small things because I've realized actually mm. that the reason why people are sad and angry is because of these underlying issues that are not being named. Mm-hmm. And they are not being allowed to speak mm-hmm. them because... Um, my friend Louis Gordon says there's no democracy without speech. Mm. If people can't say what they are thinking, what they are feeling, mm. what they would like to see, then we have no freedom. Mm. Being able to speak is a fundamental part of our freedom. So for me, I feel that my job is to clear the cobwebs and mm. tell people you can't speak. Mm. Yeah, I don't. It's not about whether I agree with you what you're saying, right. but you can speak. You can be respectful mm, and you right, can invite us important. and you can invite us to see what you're saying. Mm. And whether we we accept the invitation or not, that does not mean you should keep on being very anxious and saying, okay, I mean I, right. oh, it's my personal opinion. You know, we can't keep policing the way we talk like that. But is it, and I'm glad you talked about it was a woman and it was a guy who told her, say this. Mm. How much is that a very, in general, the guy saying you do, and she immediately just goes, okay, no, I can't. I, I, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. it's I. 
Mm. And then you, the woman, gave her power to say, it's okay to say me. Because I almost feel like if you look at social, sometimes women don't have that voice or people don't want you to have that voice and you almost have to be apologetic mm. about it. Mm. But let's talk about naming issues because mm. I think that that's a, a malady that we have. We are not good at naming issues at naming feelings at naming what we are going through and i know this is something that's very close to you mm -hmm. to your heart talk to us about why this is important why we don't why is it that we are not able to name issues and why we are afraid of those who are naming issues mm. there's a fiction we have as kenyans that kenya has to look like this it has to look like the african version of england we have to be developed, systems have to be running, and we have to be the apple of the imperial eye, so to speak. So if you name issues that are there in reality that contradict that story, then people don't want to talk about it. They want to hear only what conforms with the narrative of Kenya that they like. Mm. So that's why people don't want us to name the issues. They don't want us to name that we are human, that we feel pain, that things are not working. They only want a story that conforms with Kenya is this really great country that is ahead in development in comparison to the rest of Africa. Africa, right. That's, that's right. The, the fundamental narrative. So anything that contradicts that narrative, people shut it down because they don't know what to do with it. Mm. You see, uh, what we say is you also need to be to have institutions mm. that correspond with what you're thinking. So, for example, if I say I've just lost a close friend of mine, I am in sorrow, there has to be a, a social agreement that when you lose someone close to you, you're allowed to mourn. Mm. So what happens when you have a narrative that does not allow for our humanity? Mm. When people express our humanity, it contradicts the story. There are no institutions to help you, to support mm. you in what you're saying. So people are like, what do we do with your sorrow? Does the church allow you to weep? Mm. Does the school system allow you to weep? Does mm. the media allow you to weep? <laughs> then they think, I can't think of a social narrative I've heard about what you're saying. So they shut, <laughs> they shut what you're saying down. Mm. So that's why people fear. People mm. fear to say anything that contradicts the the flowery image of Kenya that we have been given by the school system and especially the school system and the media. They give us this very flowery image of Kenya that makes us um, suppress human mm. reality mm. so that we can keep that image intact. But why, why the obsession with this image of Kenya being, and, and you're right, I was laughing because it is so true, this idea of, we are the light in mm. the continent. We are ahead of others. And even if you tell someone that, oh, you know, this isn't working in Kenya, they go, oh, but we are better than Tanzania. Have you yes. thought about that? And I'm almost like, why do you do that? Why, like, why do you have to compare us to feel good? Why, why this obsession with this narrative that there is this perfect, we are this perfect country? Mm. Where does it come from? and racism. We've mm. believed the racist narrative that Africans are behind. Mm. So what we are doing, instead of resisting that 
narrative, mm-hmm. we are saying maybe other Africans but not us. Which is an acceptance. Mm. It's an acceptance of the racist narrative. You know when when Trump said that uh, when he called us what he called us, mm-hmm. there were Kenyans who were posting photos on social media trying to show that it's not all Africa that is like that. Mm-hmm. Kenya is different. Mm-hmm. So it's it's already an acceptance of the premise that Africans are behind. So what we are trying to do is to say we are number one. Right. Africa may be, you know, the last 50 spaces may be occupied by Africa, but at least as we are 49. So it's an acceptance already. You've already accepted the premise of the argument. So now mm. you're just trying to negotiate your position in the, at the bottom of the hierarchy. And better than the others. And better than the others. Talk to us about humanity on your Twitter handle, on your blog. I like how you define yourself as African, woman, wife, teacher, Mm. in the 99% love and revolution. Tell us, how does humanity show up for you in these important roles? Okay, Uh, African, I feel that the African continent is unique in this way, that we don't think humanity is the center of the universe. We are always aware that the universe is bigger than us. So we give respect to the trees, we give respect to the stones, we talk about animals like they are part of mm-hmm. us. Um, that, that is how, that is what to me it means to be African. So, and I, and I even sense that like when I read uh, the cultures of the African diaspora, which the, the people who are dispersed right. by, by the Middle Passage, mm-hmm. I still hear the, the echoes of that. The echoes that you might be oppressing me here in this plantation, mm-hmm. but the world is bigger than you. You don't mm-hmm. control the world. And eventually I will be free because that is not your decision to make. So I feel that what drives Africa and why we have, we have survived all these centuries is because deep down inside even when we are at the bottom of oppression Mm -hmm. we are aware that the person who is oppressing me doesn't control the universe Mm -hmm. and we must still respect the trees we must still respect the rivers we must still honor the ancestors Mm -hmm. no matter our our situation in life and i feel that that is what has driven the people of the, the, the African continent mm. all these centuries. Right. And that's what makes us resilient as well. And that's what makes it? us resilient. Mm. So for me to be African is to acknowledge that. Okay. That part of human beings are just one one occupant of Mother Earth. Mm. We are so many. It's not just us. Woman is kind of connected because uh, especially in African cultures the woman was the natural mm. and this was a role that was extremely respected in many cultures many african cultures were matriarchal mm. for that reason because there was a realization that power comes from care it doesn't come from you know brutalizing people or controlling people it comes from care mm. um, and so that ethic was what was being replicated in you know succession in in um sort of like kingdoms, right. you know. There were some kingdoms in West Africa where the heir to the throne was the the son of the king's sister or something right. like that. Right. So there had to be a connection 
or, or the, the first child of a particular wife as opposed to in, in Europe where you had, the king was sleeping with many women, so you had to have the legitimate wife and the mm. legitimate heir, the le legitimate child. Um, so there has been a consciousness in the African psyche that um, care is a fundamental part of, of power. Mm. And women often were the ones who, who decided what was done with the land. Mm who were the ones taking care of food, you know, food production. They were the ones who ran the markets. Mm. So um, for me, to be woman is to be that, the carer, right. the nurturer, the one who declares power through care, mm. not power through control. Um, and I think even our biologically, we are wired that way because biologically, it is us who grow the seed that becomes the next human being. There's a way in which uh, we are wired to care, and the way our, there was, there's a way originally our cultures embraced that part of us mm. and made it an ethic even when it comes to power and institutions. Mm. So when it comes to wife, for me, being a wife is, is, uh, is almost my application mm. of what I believe. Mm. If I talk about love, the place that love has to be seen is in my home. Um, and then also being married to Chris, we came from difficult journeys that mm. we had had before. And so when we were coming together, we were bringing the lessons that we have, had learned. Mm. And one of the lessons we had learned was the, the importance of authenticity, mm. uh, naming how we mm. feel. Mm. And the importance of love, not just between each other, but together as, as a unit, loving others. Right. So uh, for me, um, I think anything I say about love has to be confirmed by, you know, our home. Mm. You know, if I can't talk about love if I'm not practicing it at all. So that's why being a wife is important to mm. me. It's, it's not about... Uh, does she cook? Is she in the kitchen? Is mm. she washing dishes? Is right. he, you know, all these roles that we are told about, which are really about control. That's mm. not what matters to us. Mm. What matters to us is are we, do we love each other? Mm. And is the model of love we have able to be enjoyed or experienced by other people? Mm. That, that's why being a wife is so important to me. And then a teacher is where I pay it forward. Mm. Yeah. I, all the lessons that I've learned, all the heritage that I have, I have gained from the ancestors, from the earth, mm. from society, I have to pay it forward to the next generation. Mm. So teaching is how I do that. Mm. So teaching is my, my future. Africa right. is my, my past, present, and future. So... Mm. Being a teacher is an extension of my being African, my being a woman, because I have to care for my students, right, right. my being a wife. All that comes into my teaching as a way of uh, passing it on to the next generation. Thank you. That's really, really powerful. And I like the idea of authenticity and naming how we feel. I find that the two are connected because in our society, I find that a lot of times we are not naming how we feel. And you've, you've said that that's actually 
the, 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 the cornerstone of your relationship with Chris, naming how you feel. What happens in a culture like ours where we don't name how we feel? What are the dangers of not naming how we feel? First of all, in our families and and, and then as a community, as a nation as well, when we mm. we sort of don't name it and we, we bury it or sweep it under the carpet. Mm. I mean, we just pile, we just continue to pile pain, confusion. Mm. You know, sometimes it's not even pain. Even mm. there's confusion, lack of clarity mm. or joy. You know, every time we don't express how we feel, mm. it just piles and piles and one day it just explodes mm. and people don't know where that is coming from. So it's important that we name how we feel mm. about things because actually saying how we feel is a declaration that I am here, I am human, and this thing is affecting a human being in this way. It's a declaration of our humanity to right. say how we feel. Mm. And it's not even just to say, we don't even need to say it mm. out loud if we don't want to. Because right. sometimes you can hold it off and mm. say, this is not the time. Mm. But we have to acknowledge it to ourselves right. Right. that this is how we feel, this is how mm. something makes us feel whether it's happy sad angry confused mm. it can be any range of emotions but we have to be aware about how those things mm. make us feel the other thing i've been saying is that feelings are sensors uh when something is confusing it means it, it's a it's a signal you might have to find out what this is so if you suppress your 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 confusion right. it means you never find out the truth right. um if you if something makes you feel sad and you're not sure why um, it means there's something that has hurt you and it will continue to hurt you unless you reckon with mm. i'm feeling pain why right. am i feeling pain mm. and then you go and find out what is it that is making right. me feel pain right. so every time we suppress our feelings we don't grow in understanding um, it's almost like um, these nerve diseases, you know, like mm. when diabetes affects mm. your nerves. You can be burnt and you don't know right. because your nerves are not telling your brain mm. your fingers are burning. Right. So that's what suppressing emotions mm. does. It makes us not deal with the issues mm. that are causing us to feel in a certain way. Right. So we live in ignorance, live in ignorance, and if we let a problem fester, eventually it can crush us. Because we never listened to our emotions and said, something is off, I need to find out why I'm feeling that right. way. And then now you can tackle whatever is happening to you. So when Kenyans refuse to acknowledge how they feel, they refuse to deal with what is making them feel that mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. And then that festers, and then it causes a bigger problem that we didn't need to, to, to have. Mm. And I, there's a practice I do sometimes here called the body scan meditation, which is to help people be in tune with their bodies, with their emotions, and with their feelings. And almost put, this is how I'm feeling. This is how I my body is feeling. And I'm feeling that in my stomach. I'm feeling and be able to, to give it a name. And when you do that, just being in touch with how you are feeling. Mm. Um, how do you, how does that process work for you? Or is this something you've trained over the years to be able to be so in tune with what you're feeling and then be able to name it? Just mm. how does that work for you? Actually, I learned it from Chris. Mm. He, he's the one who he, he, 
he started this thing between us called time timeout mm-hmm. moments. So if something is perplexing or troubling us, he says, you know, okay, we are we are cancel, you know, timeout. Mm. What is the issue? Right. And then we say how 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 we are feeling. Um, so I learned that from him, but also, you know, then I started realizing, oh, I've been actually doing this a little bit of it, mm. but not in the conscious way that, that he has taught me to. So after that, I've become very aware of, of how I feel. Mm. I remember there was one time I was so nervous going to a meeting, just about three or so years ago, and I, I had a headache that just wouldn't go away. And it was a splitting headache, so I took water, I took uh, Panadols, it just didn't go away. Then I started noticing that I was feeding myself with junk. And then when the meeting was over, the headache went. Uh So that made me aware that, oh, okay, whenever something is not going right or when I'm nervous about something, this is how I react. Mm. And this is what I do with my my body. Mm -hmm. But I would say that lesson has come to me from from interacting with him because uh, having gone through a journey of, of uh, recovery from alcoholism, mm-hmm. he's, he's very aware of, of emotions. And, and one of the things that, that struck me about his journey was that he, when he started his recovery, mm-hmm. he realized that he had never developed his emotions. Mm-hmm. He, he kept suppressing them with alcohol. Right. He feels sad alcohol mm. he feels angry alcohol so mm. he 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 never came to a place where he lets the emotion bloom mm. and say this is how i'm feeling what do right. i need so because of that then now i became more aware of it mm. and i became more aware of what it does what i'm doing to my body because of right. how i how i feel yeah that is so powerful and and just encouraging people to to feel, to not be afraid to go inside mm. and feel and honor those feelings mm. and then honor those feelings in other people. And you know, there's also a strong message that feelings don't matter. Mm. People right. say it like about more, about five years ago, people used to tell me not to be emotional. Really? Yeah. But nowadays, uh, mm. after I started understanding mm. theoretically what feelings do these days, right. I said, no, I'm going to be emotional. Yeah, it's my right. <laughs> I have to be emotional about this. Yeah. And and, and that's okay because that's yes. what pushes, galvanizes you into action, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. And that's what is your sensor. Yeah. It's your sensor to say something is right or something is wrong or something mm. is pleasurable. Right. So if you sit on your feelings, you never notice anything because you're just being stoic and you're just Right, going exactly. through life and not listening to anything—it's—it's a—it's such a wrong message, and people shouldn't listen to it. Right, and I think it's because of their fear. It comes out of their fear because they're so used to suppressing their feelings. Mm. If Wandia starts showing her feelings, what am I going to do? Because yeah. we are supposed to be quite prim and proper and mm. not show any feelings. Mm. Show that we are not affected by the world. Yes. But right. we are supposed to be in the world. Right. We're supposed right. to be affected by it. Right. Because that's what it means to be human. That's what it means to be human. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us more about what it means to be human um, for you because that's one of the things feeling and getting into your feeling. And I know humanity is a big topic for you. Mm. Mm. I think because I noticed that 
It's always being suppressed. Right. You're supposed to be hit but feel no pain. Right. You know, what is that? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, so uh, one of the lessons I've, I've been learning and, and something I want to write about mm -hmm. is the importance of the soul. Mm -hmm. That human beings, people say it's because we're intelligent and brain power and what, but I don't think it's that. I think... It's our soul that makes us stand out mm. as a species. And the soul, I... Okay, I haven't done the philosophy, so I don't know what they say. Mm. But for me, I started realizing that our feelings, our intellect, and our spirits, they kind of hang around, come around from the same area, which is the brain and the, you know, the emotions. And the, yeah, I said the intellect, yeah. Right. So, um, I think one of the things that used to torture me, um, maybe four or five years ago, now I understand that it was the world tries to separate our feelings from our spirit, mm. from our mind. So, somebody can tell you something very nasty and you're told... Uh, Put, take it to the mind. Think of the intellectual part of it. Don't think about that it's making you upset. Mm. You know, so the uh, we, we go through these splits all the time. Mm. You know, you're told, no, just listen to the message, but not how it makes you feel. Mm. That's insane. Mm. It's insane because your mind and your spirit are coming and your feelings are coming from the same, same place. place. Right. So when you do, and when you do that operation, it's mm. inside. Nobody can see it in you because mm. it's not manifesting physically. So it's like it doesn't exist. So for me to be human is to come to terms with the fact that our souls and our minds and our spirits are one. And then they are also one with our bodies. Mm. Yeah. That if you hit, if you slap me, in public, I feel the pain physically, but it's also connected to my humiliation, right? my feelings, mm -hmm. and my understanding that you're humiliating me. Mm -hmm. So all those things come together. And to ask me to separate them is to ask me not to be human. They must mm -hmm. all come together. My body, my spirit, my soul, my mind, they must always be taken together. Mm. So I think what is happening in this life, the way the current order we are under is that we are always being told to separate the different things. So mm. to declare that I'm human, I'm mm. saying I am a whole being. Right. You can't ask me to ignore one thing, one aspect of my life. I must be able to include it in whatever I am saying, in whatever I am doing, in however I am reacting. Right, yeah. right. You have been doing some deep thinking even prior to COVID, as you said, and this idea of how we relate to nature has been one of the important things. And I remember how at the Mara, they were like, even the animals noticed that there were not so many cars and there were more animals. They had the liberty. I think they had a party. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because there were not many tourist cars and it, it changed the ecosystem. Oh. Um, just the fact that we had so much traffic. We were killing many animals. Animals were not showing up. And they now, were unhappy. They were unhappy. And now with COVID, there are not many cars. What happened is you saw all these animals because there were not many people. What are some of the thoughts that you've been getting on the environment and how we need to teach, how we need to 
heal the environment, how mm. we need to make peace with the environment. One of the things I had not understood until maybe 10 or so years ago is that the environment is a person. It's mm. not an it. The rivers have a voice, the stones have a voice, the mm. sky, the earth. And so these days I try to talk about them as people. So if there's a flood, I mm. say the river is telling us something. Right. If there's a fire, if mm. there's a desert, I say the sun is saying something. So to it's not really to humanize, but to accept that we are equals. Right. They have a, the river has a right to flow just mm. as I have a right to be here. And that idea of looking at the universe as something that we use and mistreat and, oh, it will recover. That is something that I completely disagree with. But also have learned, if you treat the universe like that, you end up treating human beings like that. Interesting. Yeah, the way we treat the universe is the way we treat each other. Mm. So when... It's, it's what you call the silent members of the universe. Mm. Just because animals don't speak our language, the wind doesn't speak our language, water doesn't speak our language, that doesn't mean they don't speak. They still speak. Uh, and if you ignore them, you mm. will start ignoring members of the human community whose voices are softer than yours. Yeah, mm. so, so the universe is what teaches us to be just, to even human beings. The other thing I noticed um, through teaching, there's a, there's a poetry class I teach on love and poetry. I started to notice that what makes love poems so beautiful is that they describe human relationships in environmental terms. True. Yes. So, like, if you look at Senghor's poem, mm. Femme Noire, you know the way he talks about the, I think he, there's a part where he says that the, the woman's eyes are like the stars against the night sky. Mm. You just feel, oh, that's so nice. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I've noticed that when people want to be the most poetic, they use nature. Yeah, yeah, they use nature, and that's when it makes sense. Mm. So for me to be at one with ourselves and with somebody else is to be at one with the universe. And these days I tell my students, if your love relationship is making you contradict nature, mm -hmm. there's something wrong with that relationship. If, if you can't uh, find pleasure and peace by just going with a person you love and sitting near a river, if mm -hmm. that is boring, that's right. not a relationship you should be in. If mm. love for you has to be expressed with what you can buy, where right. you can go, and you know, that's, that's not helping mm, you. I love that challenge. Mm. It's not helping you. Get relationships where you can easily say, we are going to Arboretum and it's okay. Mm. You know, or we are going to uh, Karura Forest right. and it's okay. Mm. Yeah, or we are going to Sita to Huru Park. It's okay. You know, I, we don't have to go to some posh place and spend a lot of money. So I tell them, if that's, if you can do that, then you're in a good relationship. <laughs> what a standard, yes. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a good, that's a good standard to have. Mm. And are you hopeful when you think about Kenya, when you think about Africa? I'm hopeful when I look at the past, not when I look at the present. When I look at the present, I despair. But when I look at the past, and I remember all the things that people fought for without even knowing whether they would come to pass, mm. 
I mean, I just get amazed by the faith of our ancestors and their determination to fight anyway. That's what gives me hope. Yeah. But then that hope in the past, which is not very helpful now in the present, how do we get, how do we get you to turn your despair mm. into hope of the past? What do we need to change or make happen right now to move us from this, this desperate state we're in? We need to return to our humanity. And for me, returning to humanity is two things. One is appreciating the value of work. I think because of being so used to employment and work that gives you money, we, we think that if we are not being paid, we are not working. But actually what work is, is influence. Mm. Influence on the environment and influence on people. So if you're cleaning an office or a home for people, it means that the people feel nice being mm. in a clean space. Mm. That means you're having an impact. Right. That is work. If you're cooking, you are being an artist, you're being creative, you're putting mm. things together and making something taste nice mm. and pleasurable. Right. And when people eat it, you have nourished their bodies, but you have also given them a, an opportunity to fellowship right. with you. So that's work. And there's so much work we Kenyans do that we don't name. And I think we have to start naming that work. We have to name the things that we are doing to help us. Mm. If we are feeding, we are carrying, we even, uh, you know, the artistic and mental soul work, you know, calling someone to say, how are you doing? I just thought of you. Mm. It's work. It's not employment or right. requirement, but it's work because what you're doing is impacting somebody else mm. for the better. I think we need to start being conscious of those that kind of work because uh, it is suppressed mm. all the time. It is discounted, and especially when it's not attached to money. Money, right. Yeah. Okay. And so I think that makes us feel that we have no impact on the world. And that's why we feel, what's the point? What can I do? It's because already we are in positions where we are saying we have no impact on the world. Mm. And so we have to start now measuring our impact on the world. By our humanity, as you By say. our humanity. Mm. Whatever we do, if it is affecting somebody well or affecting the environment well. I mean, even people who clean rivers mm. or collect takataka, mm. they, are, they are working because mm. they are making life better for all of mm. us or better for the universe. So we have to name that work so that we feel we matter and that there's something we are doing. And so the next time somebody calls on you to say, this is what is happening, can you do something? We don't feel, now what can I do? Because you're so used to already to knowing that you have an impact. So if we are to change things, for example, maybe we would find that uh, the people who are the forefront need people to give them coffee or need to know that I have a place right. to stay. Right. So people start seeing how their work connects to other things mm. i think because we've lost that that's what has made us give up right and not try to change anything is that our mm. loss of you know community like mm. we were talking just prior to to the podcast where you're saying how our parents grew up and they grew up in the village setting where they went to school but they came back to a home to the community mm. to aunties to uncles and now we see that that is not how your people 
we send children to school, they come back, but there's no community. And mm. therefore, the loss of this humanity of feeling, because we've become then very individualistic, and mm. the family is just me and my kids or me and my spouse, but not really looking at the bigger the bigger community yeah and and uh, we we think that uh, everything is about is institutionalized so whatever mm. is not institutionalized mm. hasn't happened or it's not important mm. and and i think this is the attitude that has killed the arts because the arts are are, are work not only for the artist who is doing the play or the song or mm. whatever mm. but what that art does for us it gives mm -hmm. us a space to relax right. or to express our emotion. Mm -hmm. They're giving you something that you're using. Mm -hmm. uh, now, when you don't count that as work, then you also miss out on the benefits of that work mm -hmm. to your life. So that is how we've become disconnected because we've discounted the work that some people do to help us manage our emotions or to mm -hmm. relax or to our spiritual lives. There are people who are doing the work of, of nurturing that side of our lives. Right. And because we discount their work because it's not easy to monetize, then we assume mm. that that is not important. But you see, when you do that, it means you don't have a space mm. outside of going to school or going to the office. Right. You don't have another side of life that takes care of, of you. So... You know, we, we really have to be sensitive not only to our own work, mm. but to the work of others. Right. If somebody calls you, mm. that is work they've done because they've affected you nicely. Mm. They have given you solace. They have comforted you. They've made you feel good about mm. yourself. Mm. So we need to appreciate all these other things that are done mm. so that we can have a sense of there's something I can contribute to making the world better. And then, apart from work, there's also, um, we need to love. And love, we need to love one another. And mm. love is work. It means mm. having to call people, having to write, Absolutely. having to think good thoughts about them. We, we need to love one another. And the other thing I've just remembered is stories. Mm. We need to tell stories. We need to tell the stories of our lives. Part of why we feel like we don't have an impact is because we don't talk about ourselves and, and our families and of the experiences we know of. Mm. I had a very... I'm still disturbed by this. Mm. I had a very interesting experience teaching a writing class. And I told the students for like seven weeks, write about where... I, you know, write the things that are happening mm. that you are seeing, the things that are important to you, mm. that are interesting. Do you know they couldn't? Really? It was so strange. Let me give an example. Oh, this one was so strange. So this guy tells me he's, he wants to write about irrigation. So I asked him, irrigation, why? Mm. He says, I, I worked in this county, um... I noticed that the people had malnutrition because mm. it's semi-arid and so mm. they didn't have access to food. So I said, and what do you know about irrigation? He mm. didn't know anything. <laughs> then I asked him, why did you decide irrigation is right. there? Whatever. But I think he attended some development class. He was bringing a solution. Yeah. <laughs> so I told him, 
instead of writing about the solution to irrigation, which you don't really know about, why mm. don't you write about the people you saw suffering mm. from malnutrition? Right. Where do they live? Right. You know, what do they do? What was it like uh, interacting with them? Did you find out how come they don't have food? What are the food sources? He knew all that, but I'm telling you, he never wrote about it. Oh, really? He couldn't. Because I was telling him to write about his experience. That's yeah. not what education is. Yeah. Education is solutions, development, irrigation, right. uh, economy, you know, the MP should. So the, the, humanity, government, the humanity wasn't he, there. He couldn't. He just couldn't. And imagine a whole class like that. You're telling people, you even ask them, where do you come from? Right. I had a student from Chalbi. Yeah. That's the desert, you yes. know. I was like, that's exciting. Right. What do people do? Right. It was so difficult to write. Really? Because people feel that their stories don't matter. matter. Right. They're so used to being told, write for the exam, write about development, mm. provide solutions. Mm. Then I would tell them, what about the market next to your place? What do the women do? Mm. What do they sell? You know, do you ever go to talk to them? You teenagers or young people, what do you do on a daily basis? Mm. What are your relationships like? Guys cannot. They can't tell their stories. But is, it, is that because they're not connecting to also the human part of the stories? And there's... So our education system sort of probably kills that curiosity it that does. you're talking about. So it's about solutions. So people don't have the time to tell the story of, mm. I woke up in the morning... I noticed that there was a problem with the roof. Mm. I went out. I saw so and so. Right. We talked about this. Then I realized people cannot do that. They can't do it. They want a solution. They, they, they want to jump immediately to the solution. And that's what the education system teaches us. Mm. I, I just realized that this year during COVID, this COVID that's right. what I, I figured, huh, that's why. People call that theory, but it's not theory. It's mm. just refusal to see people. Right. You want a solution. There's a problem, give me the solution. You don't want to know how people felt, what ah. they noticed, what mm. were they trying to do. Mm. So as long as we don't tell those stories, then it's very right. hard for people to, to see I matter. Mm. I matter and that I can do something in my environment. But you notice there's a very, a very strong discouragement mm. against storytelling. Mm. First, the arts are discouraged. Mm. We don't have theater. Um, the media is now, um, especially this 24-hour model of the media, they right. repeat the same news all the time. Right. So they don't have content and they are not sponsoring artistic performances. Mm. Then the newspaper is only about the big shots, the big shots in politics, the big shots in business, the big shots in sports. In between, everybody else is anonymous. So there's a whole infrastructure that makes us feel that our stories don't matter. That's why people feel, I can't change anything. Because it has already been drummed into us that what we feel or what we experience doesn't matter. And yet Kenyans have interesting stories. Sometimes people tell me, you know, they mention, oh, you know, my mom was part of this. I'm like, really? Right. Go ask her. Go ask her. What, what was right. it like? Who right. did she meet? Where did she go? Right. And then they realize, oh, you mean that's a story? I said, right. yes, it's a story. 
But you see, we are not telling those. Yeah, I know Sitawa is doing a story on the skirts and the mini skirts our parents wore oh, those yes. days and trying to put it together. Yeah. But we, you're right, we need to tell stories. We need to, to tell, tell them. stories. Like now, these days, I tell our son about uh, the music we used to listen to. It's mm. a very mundane thing, mm. but I'm very deliberate about telling him mm. where where we came from and right. what were we grappling with mm. when we were his age. So I just tell him, you know those days we had one radio station, <laughs> you know, right. we never used to hear songs from the station used to close at this time, <laughs> open at the other time. We have to tell those stories. Right. The phones, the mm. way we had to, we had one phone and some people, their parents would lock the phone so that you you'd, don't. And you'd tap it. And then you'd tap, tap, tap. <laughs> We have to tell those stories. Right. It's not, it's not a solution to anything, mm. but those stories say something about where we are coming from and what it was like. And we have to start valuing those kinds of experiences so that we feel we are in the world. Right. Stories are how we feel our nerves. They are our nerves. They are mm. our way of placing ourselves in the world. So if we don't tell the stories, we feel that we have no impact. I love yeah. that. What a powerful way to, to end the podcast. That I matter and you matter because of the stories you have to tell. Love that we should, you know, we are called to love. And then appreciating our work, which is not just what gives us money, but appreciating even our connection to, to others. Mm. I matter and you matter. Thank you so much, Wandia. It's been a joy. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's all today in No Head, where we learn to live in the present moment and navigate life together. Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Instagram at No Head Podcast. Catch you next time, my friend. May you know and understand that you matter. May you tell the stories of your life because your story matters. May you learn to love others. And may you be comfortable with emotions and naming them. Bye-bye.